The reading this evening is from the Gospel of Matthew, um, chapter 11, starting at verse uh, 25. You'll find that on page 977 of the Church Bibles, which you'll find under your chair. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's really nice to be uh, with you this evening. Um, so it's nice to come south. I emigrate, um, I migrated rather from the south uh, a few decades ago, but um, it's always nice to come back um, down south every now and again. Um, shall we pray as we start? Father God, we thank you for the privilege of gathering together this evening in your name. And um, we pray, Father, that uh, you would bless us with your Holy Spirit, that he would guide our hearts and open our eyes and our understanding to, um, uh, to understand, uh, to see and grasp um, even more the glory of your Son and the way that he is uh, the light for all nations. And so, Father, would you bless us um, tonight, not merely with understanding that stays in our heads, but uh, moves south into our hearts and goes out with us into the coming week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, we know, I think, that British mainstream culture is becoming less and less religious. I don't know if you watched the coronation, um, last week, but there was a historian on there, really interesting guy, I think his name is David uh, Olusoga, and he talked about the difference between the coronation of King Charles III and the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II, and he talked about the difference in terms of the religios religiosity in br mainstream British culture. There's been a massive shift and a decline in religious commitment throughout British culture. Fewer and fewer people identify themselves as religious in any meaningful way. But this is not, of course, the case throughout the world. I've read um, a piece of research from um, an important institution called the Pew Research Center. In uh, 2010, they surveyed uh, religious belief and practice throughout the world, and in 2010, they discovered that more than 8 in 10 people identified themselves with some religious group. That's about 84% of the world's population. But they predict that by 2050, that will increase. So the percentage of people who, uh, who have no religious affiliation is predicted to decline. So on this day, on your Mission Sunday as followers of Jesus Christ, as we think about world mission, 
I think this leaves us with, with an important question, which is, how do we prepare and how do we share the gospel to a world in which religion is alive and kicking? Now, it's an important question for us when we think about global mission, but I think it will become increasingly a question for us in our own doorstep as we reach those who hold to another religion, who have another religious identity, a religious commitment. And so this evening, I think and I hope that we will see in this short passage in Matthew's Gospel that Jesus himself provides all we need, all that we need, in order to respond to that question. Jesus himself gives us all we need as we share the gospel in an increasingly religious world. Now, for those of you who like these sorts of things, we'll have three headings. First, the Father who hides and the Father who reveals. Now, I think mission is often challenging and daunting, and I think mission to those of other religions is perhaps even more daunting. When we think about just the numbers involved in terms of religious commitment throughout the world, we think, how on earth can the church really reach the billions of people who commit themselves to other religions? It just seems so immense, so vast. And for us as individuals, we can worry when we're interacting with people from other religions that we're going to say or do the wrong thing. Um, when we think about that, it makes me think about um, uh, an international student worker, um, a young, young man um, who worked in a large church in a big city um, where there was a big international student population. And uh, his role in the church was to lead the church's ministry and outreach to international students. Uh, it was to train people in the church, to teach them, um, and to be involved himself in personal evangelism to people from other uh, countries and cultures. And he got to know a language student uh, from Saudi Arabia called Mohammed. And over several weeks, he spent time with Mohammed, uh, visited him in his home, took him to church. And one springtime, around about Easter, he invited Mohammed to come with him and his family to visit a, a local stately home. And they went, they took a packed lunch, they, they made sure that all of the food in, in the packed lunch was halal, uh, because they were very concerned about that. But they had a lovely time walking around in the grounds. It was a warm day. They sat down, they had their picnic, and they started to eat. And they, they offered Mohammed some food. Um, he politely declined. And maybe they thought maybe he's just not hungry. Anyway, they carried on enjoying their huge packed lunch. After they'd eaten, they stood up, walked around a bit more, and um, it was a warm day. It was an ice cream van, so they stopped, had an ice cream. They invited Mohammed to have an ice cream with them. Surprisingly, he didn't want one. Maybe he didn't like ice cream, a bit odd, but uh, maybe it just wasn't for him. Anyway, the day after that trip, that international student worker, um, he heard something on the radio, and suddenly, he stood in shock and realized that it was the middle of Ramadan. Now, Muhammad, as a strong Muslim, was fasting. So 
it wasn't that he wasn't hungry, of course. It wasn't that he didn't like ice cream. It was that he couldn't. He couldn't even take a sip of water on that warm day. Now, that student, ex-student worker, still blushes when he thinks about it. And you'll guess that it was me. I was that student worker. I was just horrified. I thought I'd blown it with Mohammed. I went and I apologized to him um, for being so thoughtless. Um, and I thought that, that that was the end of that relationship. But amazingly, he was gracious and he accepted my apology and our relationship continued. I was able to bring him to church and share my testimony with him. But I can be like that, can't it? When we're sharing, we're building relationships with people from other religions, we're worried about making those kinds of mistakes, we can feel unprepared, it's a big task. And sometimes, as in the case with Muhammad, we know that it's a really, really dangerous thing for some people to turn to Christ. In the case of Muhammad, it would have meant unspeakable costs to him. It would have been the loss of likely his family, his job. If he'd gone back to Saudi Arabia, it would have even been dangerous to his person. And as we think about reaching and reaching out to people with prior religious commitments, we need to be mindful of this. But let's just turn back to Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 11. And I think we will find encouragement and strength as we do this. In verses 25 and 26 we read, At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. So we pick up Matthew's gospel in chapter 11 at a, at a crucial time in Jesus' personal ministry, his earthly ministry. Now, chapter 11 opens with John the Baptist sending some of his disciples to ask Jesus if he is in fact the Messiah. Or, as he asks, should we expect someone else? Imagine, John had baptized Jesus, had been present when the Spirit descended on Jesus as a dove, when the Father spoke from heaven saying, this is my Son whom I love. But John was beginning to question Jesus. And it wasn't only John doing this. As news about Jesus grew and grew, as he moved around the land, he was healing, he was teaching, he was raising the dead. There was increasing opposition to him. Just before, in verses 21 and 23, he describes cities in Israel where he'd been doing these things, and people's hearts were hardened against him. Jesus was not the Messiah that they expected or wanted. So chapter 11 is all about opposition and hard hearts. But in response to this, Jesus prays, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Why? Because you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Now, at this point, let's just take a step back, further back, and think about Matthew's gospel and the big themes that he takes us on, takes us through. Now, Jesus is here speaking about the Father hiding, hiding things. Things, I think, are knowledge of Jesus as the Messiah, his identity, his kingdom, 
And he's hiding these things from Israel. The cities where Jesus had preached, they, that, was, that was Israel. They should have known that Jesus was the Messiah. They should have seen it and they should have responded to it in faith. And Matthew's really clear. He's the one who opens his gospel with that long genealogy which establishes that Jesus is the son of David. He is the Messiah. And then at the end of the gospel, it's Matthew who contains that full description of Jesus' commission to his disciples to go into all nations and make disciples. But the Father has revealed has hidden these things from Israel at this point, but he has revealed them to little children. Now, I think as we think about this, about what Jesus means by this, we can come back to that question we asked at the, at the start, thinking about religious people and thinking about that question of how can I do this? How can I have confidence to do this? I'm not up to it. We're not up to it as a church. It just seems really challenging. Now, I think that this moment in Matthew's gospel speaks to us because it tells us very clearly that it's the Father who reveals. The Father is sovereign over us and our witness, over our relationships and our testimonies. And we hear that the Father re re reveals Jesus to the unexpected people, those who didn't have the benefits of culture and background. He describes them as children, the people who seemed least likely to respond to him and his message. So as we consider mission in the context of a world which is increasingly religious, let's hear and trust in Jesus' words here that the Father himself reveals. So we can take confidence in the fact that he is sovereign and in control of this. Let's look at our next point. The Son reveals the Father. Now, at this point, we're, we're being invited in this passage to consider the deepest truth about God himself. It's a truth that lies at the heart of the Christian gospel, and it will help shape the way in which we think, not only about ourselves, but in the way we witness to those of other religions. In verse 27, Jesus says, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Now, for um, several years, my wife and I, we worked as missionaries in Cambodia and um, we lived in a small town, in a small provincial town in the north of the country, near to the border with Laos. And um, for a period, I taught English in a high school to get our visa. Uh, it was a brilliant way to build relationships in the community with teachers and pupils and their families. And uh, it was in a rural area. Uh, the, the, the roads around were dusty, lots of potholes. And one week, the beginning of the week, we, we heard that over that weekend, two pupils in one of my classes uh, were killed in a motorcycle, motorcycle accident, a boy and a girl. It's actually very common, sadly. 
And a few days later, two or three days later, I went with a few of the other teachers to the boy's parents' house, a traditional Cambodian wooden house on stilts. And um, as, as, as I got closer, I heard a noise blaring out from, from, from the house. Got, uh, got, and it got louder and louder as I got closer. And I saw when I got there, there was next to the house was a huge a pole that had been erected. And on the top of the pole, there was a big loudspeaker. And out of the loudspeaker, I heard this, this noise. And it was the noise of, of chanting. And inside, I discovered that the noise that was being broadcast was the noise of monks that were inside the house and they were chanting over the boy's lifeless body. Now, there were lots of people around, and I, I tried to, you know, we were learning uh, the language of uh, Cambodia, Khmer, and I couldn't understand any of the words, anything. Usually, I, I could pick up something, but I couldn't understand anything, what they were saying. Um, and so I just turned to, to one of the teachers who was next to me to ask him, what, what, what are they saying? And he said he didn't understand it either because they were chanting in an ancient language called Bali, which is sacred in Cambodian Buddhism. He couldn't understand the words. He knew that what they were chanting was, uh, they, were, they were chanting to the boy's spirit, and they were telling the boy's spirit that it was, it was dead, and it was time to leave the, his body and to go to the spirit world and discover its fate. But he couldn't understand it. And, and I listened, and I wondered, and I thought, well, it's in, the teacher didn't understand. It's likely that the parents didn't understand, and the monks themselves might not even have fully understood those words. And I wondered how they could be so sure that the boy's spirit would understand those words. And I saw at that moment how full the world is of religion. That wherever we go, in this case it was in a nor small northern town in, 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 uh, in Cambodia, I saw religion taking place. And it showed itself in that place in the most... Um, the worst time in the lives of those boys' parents, that those boys' parents had invited the monks to come and help them in their hour of need. And as we think about that funeral scene, what was going on there, let's just turn back to Jesus again and hear his words. He says, no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. Now in this verse, what we're listening to is the mysterious and amazing truth at the heart of the gospel. It's the claim that Jesus is not a mere man. He's not a mere prophet or a teacher of wisdom. He is God's Son. God's Son alone who knows the Father. So at this moment in Matthew's gospel... Remember, it's the, it's the moment when, when his people closest to him, people like John the, John the Baptist, are doubting him and his opponents are questioning him and becoming increasingly hostile. 
Jesus is declaring in the clearest way possible that he knows God and God knows him absolutely and perfectly. Now, there's so much we could talk about the the relationship between Father and Son and, and the mystery of the Trinity. But let's take notice of this and imagine ourselves back in that wooden house with those grieving parents. No one knows the Father, Jesus says, except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Now, without those last few words, no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Without those last few words, there would be no gospel. The Father and Son lived in a perfect relationship of knowledge, but it was far off, it was cut off. We didn't know about it, it would be hidden. God would be hidden from us, like the barley chanting. We might notice something in the air, patterns, maybe we, we, we see in ourselves a desire for relationship, we kind of work, wonder where that comes from, but we wouldn't understand it, we wouldn't know it. But look at what it means for us and the world of people who are always seeking something. For those parents who are grieving and others like them, they're listening but they can't understand. And they'll never know if they've got it right unless someone reveals it to them. And this is what Jesus is saying here in these verses. That is what Jesus himself does. He reveals God to the world. And again, let's, let's remember the opening verses in the chapter, in the, in the passage where Jesus says how the Father reveals to little children, not to those who seem most deserving or most likely to respond. Actually, it's the opposite. It's to the least likely. So as we think about mission in a world full of religion and religious people, and we wonder how on earth will we connect? How will the gospel, how will we take the gospel to people like that? Let's remember who Jesus and his father reveals the gospel to. It is the least likely. So let's turn to our third and our final point. The invitation is rest. Now we know, we've already, we've looked at the stats. We know that this world and its people are busy. And they're busy with religion. It's the case now, and it's always been the case. It was true in the time of of, uh, when Jesus sent his disciples out into the world, to the nations. They were no less, no more religious than they are today. And the world is full and busy with religion. But the question is, to what end? What end is that religion? Now, um, for a few years, alongside my work with 219, I teach English as a foreign language in a local local, uh, FE college. And most of the students are refugees um, who've come to the UK and and are studying English. But we also have a number of Saudi Arabian students um, who are preparing for university. And, um, And they are devout. 
And they, they tell me often, I see it, 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 it shapes um, our classes, their daily routine, their daily prayer routine. Um, when I ask them to describe their, their habits of prayer, um, how it disrupts their sleep in the mornings, and it shapes everything they do. And recently, of course, we've had Ramadan, and, um, and it's been incredibly difficult for the students to, to learn and to study and to focus uh, whilst uh, they've been fasting. And I often reflect on how their lives are, they are so devout, devote, devoted. And I read this um, verse in the Quran recently, and, and, it, and, it, and it absolutely captured what I see in the students about how their lives, and this is what it says in the Quran, how their lives, they are those who remember God standing, sitting, and lying down on their sides. They are devoted. But I've asked, I've asked them about their devotion, and I've asked, I've asked whether this devotion will lead to salvation. And, and they say, all of, all of the most devout people that I know, they say they don't know. That that will depend on, on whether their good deeds outweigh their, their bad deeds. Uh, it will hang on whether or not Allah, cho Allah chooses to be merciful or not. And they won't know that until the end. Now, what a burden this is for our Muslim friends and our neighbors for the Muslim world. What a weight to carry. It makes sense why Muslims would, would work so hard to do all they can to save the money they can to, to make the long journey to, to Mecca for the pilgrimage of Hajj at least once in their life. It makes sense that, that, that the Muslims, when they go there, that they would um, endure the, the heat and the physical uh, uh, demands of, of, that, of that journey, the walking, uh, the praying earnestly for hours, uh, the, the, the running that, that is involved in, in, the, in the Hajj. Um, one of the stages, striving within the central mosque to get as close as possible to the, to the black box in the middle of, of, the, of the mosque, to touch it, even to kiss it. Because that, by doing that, it gives them the opportunity to, to have their sins forgiven there. It's a costly business. It's a very demanding business. Religion. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So in this passage, Matthew is giving the world Jesus. And he's giving the world freedom from the burden of religion. Throughout his gospel, Matthew has, has been reminding his readers of Jesus' true messianic identity, that he is uniquely God's son. Only Jesus is able to take us to the Father. And with these words, 
we see that Matthew wants us to know that Jesus, who has the full authority of the Son, he alone knows the Father. But this Jesus is full of gentleness and he's full of hope. Someone who offers us what we are seeking. Now as we close, we've heard Jesus speak to us about his Father's sovereignty. It's the Father's power to reveal. We've heard about the Son's absolute freedom and authority to reveal God as he really is. And now we hear in these words, in a, in a world wearied by religion, we hear that Jesus offers rest. It's an offer which no one else in human history has ever been qualified to make. Not Muhammad, not the Buddha, not Krishna. They offer a guide, an example, maybe, of how to be busy to try and reach salvation. But none has or can offer that rest except for Jesus, God's only son. So as we leave this gathering tonight and we prepare for the week ahead, let's think and pray for those followers of other religions we know. People we know who need to know this rest. Let's pray about those we don't yet know in our community, our neighbours that we don't yet know, our colleagues that we don't yet know. Let's also pray for those people who we will never know, but our mission partners will. Let's pray with confidence in the Father's sovereignty. Let's pray with confidence in the authority of the Son. And let's pray that he will use us and our prayers to share and invite them to rest in Jesus. Amen. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for these words. We thank you that Matthew recorded these words for us. And Father, as we reflect on them, we reflect on what Jesus tells us about his relationship with you, a relationship like, that is like no other. We thank you, Father, in a world in which people are busy with religion, trying to find you, that Jesus alone reveals you to us. And we thank you, Father, that we've read and we've heard how you are sovereign. You are the one who reveals yourself. And so, Father, as we think about this, may we rest in the knowledge of your sovereignty, that you will reveal yourself. And you will reveal yourself to little children, people who are the least likely who seem the least likely to hear and to respond to the good news of Jesus. And so, Father, help us to be, take confidence and encouragement in the knowledge of your sovereignty. And we thank you, Father, that we've heard tonight that Jesus 
is the Son who shows us clearly who you are. That there's no mystery. That we hear his voice and we understand his voice. And finally, Father, we thank you that we have heard Jesus' call to come to him because he will give us rest. And as we think about the challenge of mission in this world, a world in which we are full, we are preoccupied with religion, in every corner, in every culture, Father, we are busy, we are active, we are anxious, and yet we are without peace. Father, we thank you that as Christians tonight, we can take the good news that Jesus offers rest. So, Father, I pray that your spirit would be with us, that he would remind us of these words as we go out into the world this week with, with relationships that we have or those that we want to pray for. May we remember these words, Father, that you are sovereign, that you reveal, and that Jesus offers rest. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.